about this one time when I was in high school. You see, I had a problem in high school. Like many of you, I always got hurt. And I got hurt all the time. Like, like literally, I, I fractured this ankle three times, and I fractured this ankle twice. Boy, I lived on crutches. Every high school picture of me is either with me on crutches or with the crutches somewhere nearby. <laughs> like, my entire high school experience was hurt. And my mom would threaten me because it was getting expensive. And she would be like, yo, if you get hurt one more time, you're just going to have to be like this the rest of your life. Like, I'm not paying these bills anymore. And, uh, and so my mom is Cuban. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm born and raised Cubano. And, you know, the reality is pa Cuban parents are very overprotective, especially when it comes to sleepovers. There are some of you who, who you're Cuban. You're like, yo, I've never even seen someone else's house. I don't even, I can't even imagine what someone else's house looks like. And, um, and your parents, they've never let you even leave your house. For some of your parents, you come here to the Fuge, and they're in the back like this. They're watching right now. You don't even know it. Uh, but uh, so I grew up in that kind of world where my, my Cuban parents would, ne would never allow for me to sleep over anyone's house because there was this constant fear that I was going to get hurt at someone's house, constantly worried about me getting injured at someone's house. And then one day I asked my mom, I was like, yo, can I sleep over my boy Jason's house? I got to sleep over his house. Mom, please, come on. Come on, spring break, mom. Chikan, my other best friend, is going to be at his house. Mom, come on, make it. Come on, please, just this one time. I'm 17 years old, Mom. Come on. I, I got a beard, girl. I got a job. Like, I, I drive my own car. Like, girl, please, free me, girl! Right? And, um, <laughs> so, and so what happened was, uh, she lets me sleep over his house. And, and she drove me over there. And the whole way, you, you guys know about this, she's talking to me through the river mirror, and she's just... Waving her finger, just straight locked eyes to me, and I even looking at the road, talking to me, saying, you better not get hurt, no injuries, if there's one injury, you're never going to go to Jason's house again, Jason won't even be your friend again, you'll never leave the house, I'm taking your car, I'm taking everything, I'm like, yo, my gosh, alright, get over it, lady. <laughs> so then we pull up to the house, and there, I'm super excited, first sleepover, probably in my whole life, like a lame, and I pull up into the house, and the first thing we do is a bunch of guys, we watch wrestling, right? That's what dumb guys do, teenage boys. We just started watching wrestling. This is back in the days. I'm old, so this is back in the days when The Rock was a big deal. And so my boys and I were watching wrestling, and then wrestling finishes. We watched almost like three hours of just wrestling, right? And we're talking the whole time, like, yo, how can I get that big? How can I get this strong? Man, I bet I can lift you like that. Right? Stupid teenage boy talk. And as we're watching this, and as it all ends, what do you think is the first thing we start doing once the wrestling show ends? Heck yes. We cleared the coffee table. We said, oh! It's about to go down, right? And we gave ourselves like wrestling stupid names. I was in Nacho Loco, right? And we like, it's about to go down. And we start wrestling, my best friend, Jakan, he's one of those dudes who never works out, but yet for some reason, he is super swole and super ripped. Like one of those guys who like got bit by something when he was a kid and superhero-like. And so we start wrestling and I reach over Jakan's shoulder. He has my arm like this and I'm holding over his shoulder and I yell out, I'm gonna wreck you, Jacon. And then he has my arm like this, and he says, No! Do you smell what the rock is cooking? And then Jacon rolls his hip back without realizing it being so strong, so mighty, he throws my body over his body while hanging onto my arm. What do you think happened to my shoulder? Boy, that thing was like this! And I was like, I, ah! And I'm freaking out because my shoulder, I can feel like a gap. 
in the, in, the, in the socket. And I'm just freaking out because here's the only thing I'm thinking about. My mom like, go right? Like, don't you dare let anything happen to you. And I'm just there. And meanwhile, my shoulder's hanging out. And I'm freaking out like, no. And then after about like three minutes of me freaking out, laying on the ground, yelling at him. And he kept saying, you didn't smell what The Rock was cooking, did you? Right? <laughs> Stupid, man. And, and I remember laying on the floor like, I hate you. I should have never slept over someone else's house. And so as, as we're contemplating things, we realized, man, our, our other friend Jason had an older brother. And he was a year and a half older than us. And as teenagers, that's like, yo, he's like, he's an old man. Right? We're 17. That man's about to turn 19. Yo, what? He knows all wisdom. And this was before Google. This was before YouTube. This was when, when internet was, was AOL. Right? This was back in the days. And so we had no way of getting information. So we went up to this guy. His name's Kenny. And I went up to him. I was like, bro, I can't tell my mom what happened to me. You need to fix my shoulder. I don't want to feel this pain no more. And I tell this man, yo, fix the pain. I don't want to feel the pain. I don't want to feel it. He says, okay, I got you, bro. Give me your hand. And I'm like, oh. Okay, and I give this boy my hand, and he grabs my pinky, and he dislocates my pinky, my left pinky, not even joking, this one right here, pulls it out of the socket, literally popped it out, and he asked me the stupid question, the most stupid question in the world, he said, do you feel your shoulder now? And I just was, ah! Dislocated shoulder, dislocated pinky, and a dislocated mama who was about to come and get me and dislocate me out that house. And so the freak out of this moment was horrific. We went to the hospital. The bills were doubled, and it was just so stupid. And I was never allowed to sleep over his house again, and I didn't even want to anymore. And, but here's why I share that stupid, ridiculous story with you. And there's some of you I've actually shared that story with in the past. But the reason why I share this story with you is because there's a truth to it. As legitimate as it was, because I was in the sling and the stupid cast for such a long time, um, the, the, the reality of what happened at that moment is what happens with a lot of you. It just happens with few teens. Constantly. What happened at that moment is what happens with a lot of teens when it comes to drugs. It's what happens to a lot of teens when it comes to stupid vaping. So what happens to a lot of teens when it comes to drinking? So what happens to a lot of teens when it comes to self-harm? There's something in your life that's broken. There's something in your life that's hurt. You are dealing with pain. You are dealing with something, a problem. And instead of seeking to fix it, instead of seeking to cover your problem with a solution that heals it, in hopes to forget the pain, you just add another problem to your situation. That is what takes place in so many of our lives. See, because the reality is this, that as teenagers, you guys many times go through so much. Some of you have experienced divorces in your family. Some of you have experienced death. Some of you have experienced relationships coming to an end. Some of you can't even focus while we're talking. Like the reality is that some of you teens deal with so much stress and sadness. And you have this dislocated part inside of you. And to forget the sadness, you seek to medicate it and cover it with different things. And you don't fix problems. You make problems. And you keep adding problems to your one problem. 
And in this passage that we're reading today, in this section of scripture, we're reading about a man that had a lot of problems. We're reading about a man who suffered immensely. This is a guy who at one point his son died. This is a guy who in battle witnessed his best friend die. This is a man who experienced much sorrow and much pain. This is a man who had his entire country turned their back on him. His mentor, a man he looked up to, eventually began to want to try and murder him. This was a man who knew what suffering was. This was a man who in his home, and his family life, his brothers were viewed as better than him. He was considered the runt of his home. He was overlooked by his father in one account. King David was a man who knew suffering. And the reality is this, that as you face your suffering, as you face your struggles, instead of turning to some, a problem to fix a problem, God's called you to be something better. God's called you to handle those things that hurt you the way that we see David handle it in this psalm that we read earlier. You handle a problem with a solution. Now the problem with a problem. And what I see so many times, and we're going to unpack this song, but I really need to make this clear. I see this so many times with teens who do drugs. I mean, just today, right before Waffle Wednesday, there was this teen smoking weed out there, right, right in the front. And it was just so sad when I began to talk to him. And his words were, yeah, I just, I got to forget what my, what my dad did to my mom yesterday. Like, and I get it. There's so much pain that you guys go through. I get it. There's some of you who, on social media, you've just been gossiped about. You've been mistreated. There's some of you who you've experienced some form of abuse from someone you didn't think would hurt you. There's a whole list of stuff that you as teens you deal with. Even the pain and the stress of, of the workload and the stress of school and the hopes of being successful and the pressure that is put on by parents or society can lead to this breaking point. And then instead of dealing with the broken shoulder... Try and numb it and hurt something else to forget about it. And this is not just with drugs. This is not just with weed, with vaping, and in some cases, cocaine. But this is also with self-harm. I can't even tell you how many conversations I've had with teenagers where there's some form of self-harm taking place in their life. And every time you speak to a teen who's dealing with some kind of self-harm of any kind of way, from bulimia to cutting to just a wide list of stuff to even binge eating, a wide list of things that will harm yourself. I can't tell you how many times, every, well, every single time pretty much, I've spoken to a teen about that, dozens of different conversations. It always comes back to the same thing. I'm hurting about something. I'm dealing with something painful. And this helps me forget it for that moment. But you cover a problem with what? A problem. Nothing gets solved. And then here's what takes place over time. Eventually you covered that problem with so many problems that eventually you just can't feel like you get out again. And then so what you need to start doing is over time you begin to cover the problem with louder problems. You know, like let's talk about drugs for example. So with drugs, we hear about this all the time. If you've taken any kind of like drug class or drug seminar, they always talk about the gateway drug, right? You get one high, right? And eventually this one drug can't provide or sustain the kind of high that you need anymore to forget your problems. So what then happens? You then 
scale up to something else. You scale up to a different kind of drug that then creates a different kind of what? Problem. And you never solve the problem. You just made more problems. The same is true of self-harm. Whenever we read in these stories of, of teenagers who've either committed suicide or attempted suicide, you see that there's been a track record of them slowly working themselves to that point. You have no idea how far is too far. You have no idea where your tipping point will be where you land into a place of really no return. So I'll tell you a story before we begin to unpack this passage of this boy who lived with me in my group home. See, for, over, for about 16 months, I was a house parent in a group home and I had 11 teenage boys at a time live with me. All teenage boys had to have at least two criminal charges to live in my house. There was one boy who looked me in the eyes once, straight up looked me in the eyes and said to me, hey man, do you want to buy some weed? It's like, boy, I'm a grown man. You selling me weed? What the, what's wrong with you, kid? <laughs> I'm your house parent. Yeah, man, I just figured, you, you want some? And we had this whole conversation, straight up a whole conversation about this reality of covering problems with problems. And him talking about every time I get sad, I just turn to weed. Every time I get sad, I just turn to this, and it just helps me out. Do you know where that boy is now? I found that boy two years ago in downtown Miami, cocaine addict. I don't know the exact drugs he was on, but you can definitely see heroin, heroin needle marks. You can definitely see a list of different stuff on his body, and I couldn't even walk up to him because it was just so devastating. You don't know how much you can't control. And some of you are developing the habit right now of covering your problem with what? A problem. Maybe, this, maybe the problem is not drugs. Maybe it's not it. Maybe the problem is not self-harm. Maybe the thing that you're covering your problems with is bad relationships. Maybe you're saying, I'll take any boy who gives me attention. Or I feel ugly, so I'll post certain things online so I can feel cute or feel pretty and feel like people like me and feel like I'm actually attractive. And so you'll take the, the ridiculous pictures, you'll take those pictures making sure, which is always kind of silly, where it's like, this is my face, and this is my butt, and <laughs> this is what I look like from the side. And, but you'll take these things and hope, and hope to cover the problem of your own self-esteem with potentially another problem. I mean, just a few weeks ago, I was talking to the parents of a young lady who, she's being followed by 18,000 people. And some of you guys are like, yo, she must be famous. <laughs> but in talking, just hearing some of the stories that the parents are saying of what the messages they've seen from other grown men in the area. And then you talk to the young lady and you realize that there's a massive issue with her self-esteem and her self-value. And she's taking that problem in her heart of not feeling valuable and feeling worthy, she's taking that problem, and what is she covering it with? Another problem. See, because even though she may get three or 4,000 likes in the picture, she still feels ugly. She still feels like she doesn't matter. So little by little, it begins to increase, where little by little, the pictures get more and more risque to get more and more attention, because the problems never stop growing. This is real. And the struggle is real. And you don't know how far your struggle right now will take you. You talk to anyone in the extreme, 
The handful of students that I've had conversations with that have attempted suicide and didn't make it. You look at their track record and you see what's there. There are some of you in this room who you might be on medication. You might be taking medication for anxiety, for depression, for ADHD, for whatever it is. And then on top of that, you're doing drugs that your friend gave you. And you're combining these extremely serious things together, not knowing what it can affect your brain. And in hopes to solve a problem, you're actually creating triple the problem. I was talking to a parent last week who their kid took an ecstasy pill that he found on the floor in the cafeteria. And it's that kind of thing of like, how do I keep my words in? The kid doesn't go to this church. And it was all because he dealt with something when he was younger. And he's living his life trying to forget it. Covering his problems with what? Problems. Let's all say it together. Covering his problems with what? Problems. Let's look at this passage. Let's look at what, what David did with his problems. It's because David didn't seek to go ahead and cover his problems with something else that will give more problems. Even though he did have a massive fall in his, in his journey with Christ, it was not perfect by any means. But he is an excellent example of what to do when you do suffer. And so look back down from verses 2 to 7. Psalm 86, verses 2 to 7. Look what David says to God. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace in the day of my trouble. I call upon who? You, for you answer me. See, the first thing that we see in this psalm, that with David in his moment of sadness, in his moment of sorrow, what historians believe that this psalm was actually a prayer that he wrote when all of Israel had turned their back on him. The people, his race, his entire country had turned their back on David. And you need to know why this hurt him so bad. Because David was a warrior for his country. David was the biggest warrior for his country. Majority of his country's wars were won because of David. He is the equivalent of Captain America. No spoilers, please. He was the number one person in their, in their country. And the reality is this, the whole country turned their back on him. And now he grabs a pen and writes a prayer. And he opens the prayer for, by asking for help. That's point number one for those of you taking notes. Ask for help. He asked God, help me. God, I'm sad. God, I'm broken. God, I'm going through something bad. God, this is hard. God, please open your ear to me. Give me your attention. God, I'm one of your people. And you can hear in the psalm, there is this desperation. There is this sadness. There is like, Lord, I follow you. He calls himself at one point. I am a servant of you. Please listen to me. Help me. Do you cry out for help when you are going through some form of pain? 
Do you cry out for help when you are facing some kind of trauma, some kind of struggle, some kind of challenge? Or do you foolishly believe, I can deal with it myself? I hate how I look, I can deal with myself. I'm struggling with what my parents are doing, I can deal with it myself. My schoolwork, I walk into my class, I'm the dummy of the class, I can deal with myself. You can't. You need help. You need to turn to the Lord. You need to turn to God and beg Him to help you. But not only do you need to ask Him to help you, you need to be willing to receive the help He's trying to offer you. And the kind of help that God offers comes in a wide range of ways. A lot of times it comes in the advice that our parents give. A lot of times it comes in moments like this when you come to the refuge and you hear a sermon or in the time in your, in your tribe discussion, a lot of times the Lord speaks in ways. And we're so arrogant, we're so proud that we don't even receive it. There might be some of your parents who are trying to get you to go to counseling. There might be some of your parents who are trying to get you the help that you need and you're like, no, 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 girl, I don't need that. No, mom, I don't need that stuff. You need to humble yourself and realize the help you need. And realize what God might be trying to offer you, and you need to ask for help. So my son, my youngest son, Xander, he's the cutest human in the entire world. The craziest boy. He, he literally looks like, like uh, Lilo and Stitch, that monster. Yeah. That's how the boy lives his life. We've had babysitters that by the time we go pick them up, they're like, I, I might not come back. <laughs> My boy's wild. And one of the things that makes him so challenging, even though he's so cute and so amazing, and I love him to death, and he, he's just adorable. My wife sent me a picture earlier, whatever. What makes him so incredible, what makes him so, I mean, challenging, he hates help. He thinks he has to do everything himself. And he deals with all these struggles, all these frustrations, all these problems. Meanwhile, he's got his papi saying, bro, just ask me to help. I'll help you. You deal with all this stuff, and God's just standing there saying, just ask me to help, and I'll help you. Are you asking for help? Or are you just covering your problems with what? Problems. problems. Let's do this. Every time I do this, let's just say the word problems. That way it really embeds into our... Because I want next time you guys deal with whatever it is, I want you to see me like this. <laughs> so every time this happens, let's just say problems. I want to be in your subconscious. like you, You're like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden you see me. <laughs> all right? So look at the second thing he does. Look at verse 11. Let's read verse 11. Look at what he says. Teach me your what? Your way. Oh, Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. What he's doing at this point, he is asking for wisdom. He is asking not just for help. He is asking for God to give him wisdom. Asking for God to give him insight. Teach me the ways of how I should handle the way that this girl treat me. Teach me how I should handle what's happening in my home. Teach me how I should handle what people say about me. God, I need your help. Give me wisdom. Point number two. We ask for wisdom. We ask for help when we face problems. We ask for help and we also ask for understanding on how to deal with it. And one of the main ways that scripture constantly is telling us that he provides wisdom is that he does it through his word. And that's one of the reasons why we get hype whenever we yell, whenever we say what passage we read. That's one of the reasons why I have spent 
my adult life. I have been, since I was 16 years old, studying this and turning the pages and eating it up and realizing every page I turn, I'm constantly finding something else. I've gone through the Bible 11 times from cover to cover and still I find myself in tears at moments when I'm reading his word because it is rich. It is filled with so much wisdom and you need to understand. You want wisdom in how to handle your family. You want wisdom in how to handle how you were abused. You want wisdom in how to handle conflict. You want wisdom how to handle what you are struggling with so deep. That problem, that busted shoulder. You want wisdom? How bad do you want it? You want solutions? It's here. How bad do you want it? Or do you want to be a 30-year-old with a list of problems stacked on each other? We are people, when we have problems, we don't cover them with what? Problems. Cover them with solutions. And so we turn to God and we ask God help. We ask God for wisdom. And lastly, close with this. We ask God. This, is so, this came out to me actually a little bit earlier today. Verse 17, look at what David says. Look at the level of honesty that he gets to have with God. This is a man who is suffering. This is a man who is sad. This is a man who has seen his best friend be killed in front of him. This is a man who has experienced massive turmoil in his life. This is a man who knows dislocated shoulders. This is a man who knows brokenness. Look at what he says in verse 17. I love this. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Number three, so we ask for help, number one. We ask for wisdom, number two, in verse 11. And number three, we ask for God to give us a sign. Some of you don't believe God loves you. Some of you don't believe God's real. Ryan, stop. Some of you don't believe that God literally has chosen you, has built you, has brought you to this place to hear his word. Some of you don't believe that God literally is real. You think it's fake. You think it's a hoax. You think your suffering, you think your pain has led you to the point, your pain has led you to that point where you now think there can't be a God. Because if there was a God, if there was a God, boy, we would not have ran out of peanut butter when I really wanted that sandwich. Or whether it ran out of milk that time you served that bowl of cereal, and you're like, oh, come on, man. I gotta eat this thing dry or put it back in. But the reality is, if we are honest with ourselves, when we suffer, that's when doubt happens the most. That's when those moments of really believing, is God really real? Because if he was, why would I be going through this horrible thing right now? It may be death, it may be divorce, it may be broken relationship, it may be whatever. I know the list is long, guys. But what David does, which is so beautiful, instead of taking that doubt and stuffing it and just being like, yo, I'm either going to just act on it and live my life like God's not real, or I'm going to just suppress it and never deal with it and just keep acting like I'm Christian and keep acting like I got everything together, this is what he does instead. He asks for God to help. He asks for wisdom. And then he asks God to give him a sign. He asked God to show himself to him. He asked God to reveal himself, to allow for David to see that God's still involved in his life. Maybe that, for some of you, is your next step. Maybe for some of you, your next step is literally saying, God, show me. Show me yourself. 
Not from a posture of, I'm here, I want challenging you. Bend this spoon, God, right before my eyes. <laughs> but maybe, <laughs> I say that because I once had a student tell me that. I told God to bend the spoon and he didn't. And I stood there like for an hour looking at it and it never bent. And I thought to myself, bro, how do you have enough time to stand there for one whole hour staring at a spoon? Boy, you need a job. That's the sign. Get a job, kid. <laughs> but maybe some of you, in all honesty, as you deal with your brokenness, as you deal with your problems, as you have your dislocated shoulders, going back to my story earlier, maybe you need to sit down and say, God, are you really real? God, can you help me have a reason to believe? Give me something. Give me a moment. Give me a word. Give me an experience. Lord, let me know that you're real. That has been a rhythm in my life for at least since I was 18. See, because I grew up in an abusive home. My mom was an alcoholic, for those of you who don't know that part of my story. And not only was she verbally, but also physically abusive my whole life. And there was a lot of brokenness in my life. And there was moments when I was a teenager where I would sit in my room after carrying my mother to her bed, and I would just wonder, why, why is God letting me go through this? Is he even real? God, give me a sign. And here's the reality of my life. Since, I've, since I was 16 and started following him, since I was 18 and started asking for the Lord to do that. Every single time, God has been so good and so kind to do something. I have begged and I've been scared to ask sometimes. I have honestly, I have, I mean, my prayer journal was filled with moments of saying, God, please show me something. And it's, there's been moments where it's been like immediately. So there was a stupid song that came out when I was a teenager. It was called Jesus Walks by Kanye West. It was one of his first songs. That song came out, right? And I lay laying there, I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, please, just give me a sign. Give me a sign that you're real and that you're involved. And then, I'm not even joking, I turned my radio on. It was 99 Jams at the time. I turned it on. And that song came on for the first time. I was like, yo. I had literally just asked for the Lord to show me something. And here on the most pagan web, uh, radio station is a song talking about how Jesus walks and how amazing he is. There's been these times in my life where I've seen things immediately. There's been these times in my life where it's taken months. There's been times in my life where it's taken years. There was a time like today, something I prayed for last year that I saw God answer that prayer today. Literally before you guys all got here. I celebrated it with Dylan and Emily. But there's a reality here. He's real. Ask him to show you how real he is. And the reason why we have this kind of opportunity, because we, when we have problems, we don't cover them with what? Aww. Problems. God himself in his character, he is a God who doesn't cover problems with problems. God in his character covers problems with solutions. And we see this most of all at the cross. See, God saw the greatest problem in the history of the world. God saw the greatest problem that some of you don't even know you have. Your sin, your need for salvation, your need for a savior, your need for forgiveness. God saw that problem and he didn't say, here's your another problem. Become perfect. And then now you get forgiveness. No. He saw your what? And he covered it with the solution of his son, Jesus. And God sent Jesus Christ to this world to bring forth a solution to your what? 
to your greatest problem. Salvation, forgiveness, a need for love, the void that only God can fill. God saw that and he brought you a solution in Jesus. And that's how this all wraps back to the gospel. That unveils God's character of solving problems with solutions, not problems. False gods look at your problem and say, oh, you got this problem. Oh, you need God in your life. Here's another problem. Become perfect and then you get me. Do all these works and then you get me. The God of the Bible says, you got this problem of your need for salvation. I'll provide salvation, a solution for you. But not only do we see this kind of way of being in his very character, but we also have this kind of access to be able to ask for help, to be able to ask for wisdom, to even be able to ask for a sign. We have that because of the incredible relationship that Jesus Christ offers us with God himself. That Jesus went onto the cross and paid the punishment that you and I deserve, took on the very wrath of God upon himself, experienced what we all should have experienced so that we can forever have relationship with God. So that we can be the kind of people that when we face a what? We can say, God, help me. Of when we face a what? We can say, God, give me wisdom. When we face a what? We can say, God, give me a sign to show me you're real. That is the kind of relationship we get to have with God because of Jesus. Not because you're a good person. Not because you come to church all the time. Not because you went to camp. Not because you follow us on, the, on Instagram. Not because you have your own Bible. But because Jesus provided a way for you to have a relationship. So you can ask for help. So you can ask for wisdom. So you can ask for a sign. So you can pursue solutions for your what? Some of you in this room, you don't know Jesus. And let me help you understand what you don't know. You don't know a savior. You don't know someone who loves you and forgives you. You don't know somebody who wants to be with you and walk you through life and help you. You don't know somebody who wants to give you wisdom. You don't know a God who at this moment is trying to give you a sign. Turn your heart to Jesus. Turn your life to Christ and experience a life of solutions. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll break off into our tribes.